Legally Blonde, Suits, My Cousin Vinny. All badass lawyers, all different. Which begs the question, what type of lawyer do you want to be? Don't waste another second thinking, ugh, I don't even know what types of lawyers there are. Trust us, we've been there. Let's put a stop to that once and for all. Go take the 90-second quiz from new lawyer now what coach Angela Vorpal to give yourself a clear picture of the best fit type law for you. Go to www.whattypeoflawyerquiz.com and take the quiz today. Once you've taken the quiz, send us a DM on Instagram to let us know what type of lawyer you got. We can't wait to hear. Welcome back to Ladies Who Law School podcast. I'm Haley. And I'm Sam. And this week's episode is sponsored by Barcast Audio. Barcast Audio has launched a new subscription service. It is full of hundreds of podcast-like case briefs that you can quickly maneuver through and listen to right before class. If you are in the middle of your 1L year, this is a source you don't want to pass up on. This is your chance to get that cold call right the first time and make all your classmates jealous. That's very true. You're going to make them very jealous with your dope cold call. So if you want a cold call that's going to rock your socks off, definitely go to the link in our show notes and then go to Instagram. We have all of Barcast links there. Yes, you can get your first month free with the link in our bio. On that note, we are very excited to welcome our guest today. She's been on now for the second time, so it's our first repeat guest, and you guys loved her last episode, and we know that this one is going to be, if not but I mean, I think it's going to be even better, honestly, because we just learned so much. I'm so pumped. Let's dive in. Please help me welcome our guest, Miss Lauren Klein. Hi, Lauren. How are you? Hi, Samantha. Hi, Haley. I am great. How are you, ladies? We are hanging in there. <laughs> I'll just be honest, right? How are you? I am also hanging there in full transparency. Um, there's been some crazy proposed tax legislation. So the tax and trust in estates world it has just gone bananas right now. Um, so it's going to be a crazy rest of the year, but, but you know, we'll all make it through. Yes, exactly. <laughs> one day at a time. Exactly. One day at a time. <laughs> I love the transparency. So you are our first repeat guest on the podcast and we have brought you here today to talk about money and oh yeah, <laughs> all about the money, all about the money as a tax lawyer, as an estate planning lawyer, as you know, everything about money is what you deal with. But also this summer in your law school blueprint program, we joined you and one of the sessions was about money. And we had some great conversations about what it looks like to 
have money and not have money, what to do with money, how you can be rich and how you can be poor, even whenever you're a lawyer in any way, it's how you think about it. And I'm just so happy to bring you on here and share this with the world and especially with all of our listeners. Yeah, I remember um, because I wasn't able to get to that session right after Haley called and she's like, I need to just give you the deets on what we learned and this is what we're going to do and we're going to get a duplex and we're going <laughs> to rent it out and we're gonna, this is how we're going to pay for our loans. And I was like, okay, I guess we should just have her on to explain it to everybody else. Yes. So why don't you just introduce yourself briefly for anyone who hasn't listened to the last episode with you? Awesome. Well, first of all, I'm so honored to be the first repeat guest. That's super fun and exciting. Um, So a little bit about me. My name is Lauren Klein. I'm an attorney at Holland and Knight. I've been a practicing lawyer now for about nine years, which is really crazy because I feel like I just started yesterday. Um, I'm also a life coach and the creator of the Law School Blueprint, which is a coaching program for law students and pre-law students. And I'm also a wife and a mom of a baby who's about to be one years old, which is insane. (laughs) And I love talking about money. I mean, I think you guys probably picked up on that over the summer in the Law School Blueprint. It is like my favorite thing to talk about. I listen to money books all day long while I work to keep me like hyped up. (laughs) This is going to be really fun. (laughs) Awesome. Okay. So... We want to talk about, first and foremost, salaries, negotiating salaries, what that looks like in the real world, you know, what should we expect and what are your tips? So I will tell you about the first time, my first job out of law school with Deloitte and they gave me an offer. And I was so excited because I had read all these books about negotiation. I'm like, I'm going to negotiate. I'm going to get a higher salary and it's going to be great. So I say to them, they offered me 62,000. I think I countered with like 75,000. And I was was like, they're going to at least come back, you know, with something. And they're like, well, our our, uh, response is $62,000 or we'll hire someone else. So that was my very first experience with negotiating a salary. And I think the lesson to take from that is when you are a new lawyer, you know, you're the first job that you're going to get offered out of law school, you're not necessarily going to have a lot of clout. You're not necessarily going to have a lot of negotiating power. Now, obviously, there's various factors, you know, what tier of law school you went to, where you were in your class whether your dad works at the law firm or your mom works at the law firm or your uncle or your aunt, you know, obviously there, there's going to be some factors. I, I was a complete unknown commodity. I had no family members who were lawyers. I had my JD from a so-so law school, you know, I was top 10% and I did have a tax LLM. So I had, I had some clout, you know, so to speak. Um, but it didn't, it didn't do anything for me. So I think the lesson to take away is your first job, maybe even your second job, you're probably not going to have a lot of negotiating power. You know what? Try anyway, because it's very good practice for when you start to get some clout and you start to get some negotiating power. Do it. You might be surprised. They might come back. You know, the, the market, the legal market is getting stronger. So that is better. When I graduated uh, with my LLM is 2013, the market still wasn't that great. So I would recommend, you know, just 
A, you know, talk to others. And today we can talk about some expected, you know, what you can expect from salaries, depending on the type of job you're taking. Um, you know, talk to others. We'll talk about that a little bit too. And kind of get a ballpark of what you think you should be making. Because what we don't want to happen is we don't want you to take a job where you're making way less than you should. For that job at that time in that market, that was an okay salary. That was an acceptable salary. So I, even though they basically said like, you can hit the road if you don't want it. Um, So just know that you're, you know, in the beginning, you may not get much from the negotiation, especially women lawyers, women everywhere. We need to learn to negotiate. We need to learn to advocate for ourselves. And so even if it doesn't work, do it anyway. And once you start to get known in the community, once you start to hone your skills, once you start to like getting involved with different bar associations and your name is out there and people will start to want to hire you and you'll start to get those skills, then you can start to really negotiate. Um, That would be my biggest tip. Take kind of some of the pressure off, try it, practice, but maybe don't expect too much. Maybe do, you know, who knows? I don't want to put any limits on anybody. Um, but it may not, you may not be able to negotiate too much your first job. We'll be right back. Hey guys, we want to take a moment to talk about something that has been a game changer for us busy lawyers, Audible. Yes, Audible has been our go-to platform for incredible audiobooks, offering an extensive library of thrillers, nonfiction, autobiographies, and mysteries. And guess what? We've got a special treat for you. Audible is offering a free trial to our listeners, and all you need to do is check the link in the show notes. It's the perfect opportunity to experience the magic of audiobooks without spending a dime. Speaking of thrillers, I know you are currently hooked on Never Lie by Frida McFadden. Samantha, can you tell us a little bit about it? Absolutely. The twists and turns in Never Lie have kept me on the edge of my seat during the workday and even when I'm on my daily walks. It's like having a suspenseful companion wherever I go. And for those looking for some financial wisdom, I have been engrossed in My Money, My Way by Kamuku Love. It's packed with practical advice on managing finances, perfect for anyone trying to navigate the complexities of money management. What we love most is the flexibility Audible offers. As lawyers, our schedules can be unpredictable, but with Audible, we can enjoy our favorite books on the go, whether we're stuck in traffic, hitting the gym, or waiting for a court hearing. So if you're ready to embark on a literary journey and discover the joys of audiobooks, click the link in the show notes to start your free trial with Audible. Trust us, you won't want to miss out on this fantastic offer. So how do you figure out, you know, how much you should be making in certain, I guess let's do a big law, big, big law, like a New York firm. And then let's say a medium sized firm, a small firm, and then public interest, you know, is there any threshold? So when you're talking big law, it depends on whether the firm is lockstep or, or discretionary. So for example, at Holland and Knight, when I joined, it was discretionary. So they offered me what I thought to be a kind of low salary based on my skill set of my year. But I took it knowing that I would show them I was worth more and that I could take that big law name and, and t- take it to another firm if I needed to. So you'll have to look to see whether the firm that you're interested in or the firms are discretionary or lockstep. But go online. You know, now Holland and Knight is lockstep, which means like they have a set salary schedule. 
Um, so go online and look and see what is. You can kind of get a ballpark of what will probably be the top tier, you know, uh, salaries. So let's just say two hundred thousand um, dollars. You know, a first year associate at a big firm. That's what you can expect plus bonus. A lot of that is public information, which I had no idea about when I started my law career. I literally knew nothing, you know. So go online and try to figure out what like the top tier of a salary that you might make. And full transparency, it took me a while to get to the big firm. It took me about four years. I had to start, um, you know, in big four at Deloitte, and then I worked at boutique firms. And I, as I said before, I started with sixty-two thousand, and then it incrementally increased. So, for example, with the the boutique law firm, when I say boutique, they were usually like ten lawyers. I think the first law firm I was with was three lawyers plus me, so four. That was still boutique, um, and that I made about seventy-two thousand. And this, I remember all these numbers. That was twenty fourteen or so. Um, and then at the next boutique law firm, I made about 90 and each year they did give me a raise and a bonus. I think bonuses were like 30,000 or something like that. So pretty good. So the thing with the boutique is you just don't know. There's a lot of discretion. There could be some underlying bias, you know, like there could be some issues, but with that, I would try to ask around. See if you can get some information in your, because obviously where you where you work is going to impact what the salaries will be. I live in South Florida, so salaries are not New York or California, but they they tend to be higher. And try to just ask around, you know, try to get a feel. I did that and it didn't always work, but at least as I went along, I kind of learned. You know, I, I hope not everyone has experience, but I stumbled a lot in the I kind of learned as I went. Um, so that's why podcasts like this are super valuable. So hopefully people can avoid some of the mistakes. Um, so depending on what area of practice and the boutique firm in your area, maybe you can expect like 70 to 100, maybe a little bit less. You know, that's just been kind of my experience. Um, and then public interest and government type jobs, a lot of them will actually be published on well. Um, like I know the IRS, for example, you can you can see the salaries. Uh, I think I had a friend when we first started out of law school, when we first started legal careers, she made about 45 at a, at a public interest type of job. So that also probably ranges pretty, you know, depends on when you start, but that's probably what you could expect. Or if you do like a public defender, you know, something like that. Yeah. What do you say to a person who gets offered 50K, but is gets uh, portions of the work that they settle, let's say they're working on a contingency basis. Would you say that that's something that you would advise or would you discourage that? I think it would depend on the person and, okay. and their personality because I do think that that could actually be very lucrative. And if that would provide motivation to that person to bring in clients and hone their book of business. That could be really great. Yeah. Um, but just like any other job, that's like a commission type job. You don't know how much you're going to make, but if you think that that's something that you would be comfortable with or even inspired by, then I, I, there's really nothing to me that's ever off the table. It's more 
what that person's goals and personality are, I would say. Nice. So what would you say? Okay. So a little bit ago, you talked about the mistakes and the stumbles. Would you share some of those with us and just the things that you learned along the way? Of course. I'm a total open book. So I think one was just not being informed. And some of that just was because I just didn't know a lot of lawyers and I had no lawyers in my family. So try to get as informed as possible. And and a lot of that has changed even from 2013 seems like yesterday, but there weren't podcasts and there weren't like all of this information out, you know, in the the interwebs. So do as much research as you can and just try to be as informed as possible. And I think for, for at least a few years in the beginning of my career, I felt because I didn't go to a great school, quote unquote, um, and because I didn't have any lawyers in my family, I wasn't worthy of the big money and I wasn't, it wasn't available to me. So I almost didn't want to know about it because I didn't want to be sad. I almost didn't want to know what the big firms paid because I was like, they're never going to hire me. So why do I even want to know? Or part of me is like, do I ever even want to work in that environment? So I kind of put blinders on. So be informed. Mm-hmm. Don't put blinders on. Become intimate with money and knowledge. And that will help you to avoid a lot of the pitfalls that I kind of fell into. Okay. Another pitfall was just not being clear on my goals. Okay. And, you know, I think that that may be just as part of growing. Yeah. When you graduate law school, you're still pretty young, you know, like you're in your mid twenties, late twenties, like most, you know, some people aren't, some people do have their career first or whatever, but you're still kind of figuring out who you are. So, you know, so the mistakes are kind of good because you grow from them, but, but try to learn can in advance so you don't make too many. So what are some of the sources and books and other podcasts maybe that you have listened to and used to learn more about money and grow your money knowledge? So I have so many and I love listening and reading them because at the end of the day, they all say the same thing. And it just kind of reaffirms that it really is easy. Um, I think the biggest thing that I have learned about money is that it's psychology. It's it's how you think about your money. It's how you approach your money. Because I, I know I've told you this story before about the partners I've talked to who make a million dollars a year and they're bitter because they think they can't retire. And it's like funny, but it's not because they really believe this. Their psyche believes that it is not available to them to have the life that they want. And that to me, when I first learned that a a light bulb went off in my head, I thought, wow, like it really is not just about the money that you make. It's how you, how you look at your life, how you decide what's important to you and what you value and you design your life around that. Because I love spending money. I love making money. I think money is energy and putting it out into the world is great. But if you just put it out there to try to cover up you working long hours and hating your life, you know, you're going to end up 50, 60, 70 years old. and like, ah, oh, what did I do with my life? All I did was work. Yeah. So let me give you some of the books that I love because there are some really good ones. I'm actually listening to one right now called, um, 
the, uh, hold on, let me look it up. The Financial Freedom book, I think it's called by Grant Sabatier. Financial Freedom. That is an excellent one to start with because it's very straightforward and basic, but it kind of lays out how you can retire within like five years and never work again if you want to. Um, it's a very interesting concept called FIRE, Financial Independence <laughs> Retire Early. And the funny thing is when most people hit their financial freedom number, they still work because they just end up doing something we love. Because humans really, we need work to survive and be happy, but that's a very cool thing. And I think I already know a few lawyers who have done that. They've they've saved enough and invested enough that they can never work again. I'm talking lawyers like my age, like mid-30s. It's really, it's a cool concept. So that is definitely something I would look at. Um, another one, let's see. I have it all written down. Adding another to the one Amazon is your, part. I know. I wish you guys should see our faces right now. We're like, ooh, <laughs> retiring in five years. Right? And what yeah, I have my student loans is, quick. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we can talk about loans and how to repay and when to repay and if you should repay and whatever, but it, it is possible to do it. You know, it's possible to retire early if you want. And then, like I said, most people that do that never end up retiring because they just do what they love and they don't have to worry about the money anymore. Not to say you won't do things that make money, but it takes, again, it goes back to money as psychology. It takes the stress and the pressure off of you to live a life that's free and also true to like what you love, you know? Yes. So another book that I would really, really recommend is Rich Dad, Poor Dad by Robert Kiyosaki. It lays out, I think it's a great book for lawyers because it lays out a story about his two dad, his like he had a dad that was like his his biological dad, and then his dad that was his friend's dad. And you'll read the book, but basically it's all about like learning how to have passive income and own your own business and how so many high-earning W-2 workers, lawyers that work for firms, never really make a lot of money because you're taxed at the highest rates. So it's a very good starter book on. It's, it's usually real estate investors read it, but it's a good starter book of like how to think about money. So I would highly recommend that. Um, the Richest Man in Babylon by George Clayson is really good. It's a parable basically that gives like all you ever need to know about money, like spend less than you earn, save, pay yourself first, donate to charity. Like it's a really good book. Um, your Money or Your Life by Vicki Robin. She's like a goddess in the financial base. Uh, let's see what else. The four hour work week by Timothy Ferris is really good. Mm, that sounds nice. <laughs> the millionaire woman next door by Thomas Stanley is fantastic because it gives a whole bunch of examples of everyday average women who I don't even think there were any lawyers in the book. I think it was like a bookkeeper and like a CPA, like, you know, like, not super, super necessarily high earning people that are millionaires and you would never know it because they don't live in a fancy house or have a nice car. Not that there's anything wrong with those things, but decide that's what you really care about. No. Yeah. So just going back to getting a feel for, you know, salaries and stuff, what is a good way to approach peers and people that may work at firms that you want to work at, you know, to ask about money, you know? Uh, I know it's it's such an iffy subject to talk about money with people. And I don't really know why. I don't think it should be that way. 
And I've actually, not just me, me and my friend group have made a concerted effort in the past few years to really start asking people what they make so we can make sure that we're not being undervalued. Um, you know, I think the best way is to start to get to know people within the industry that like the area of law that you want to get into, take them out for coffee, get to know them. And then eventually, you know, you don't have to be like, Hey, what do you make? You could be like, so, you know, what would a good expected salary be for a first year lawyer in this area of law? You know, something like that kind of start it off soft and let them kind of choose how they want to approach it. Um, and if it's maybe someone who's more in like your peer group, like maybe they're a second year lawyer, or a third year lawyer, maybe you could be a little more direct and be like, hey, I really want to know like what people are making at the firm so I can get a sense of, you know, and people, it depends on the person. Some people are so weird about money and some people will surprise you and just be like, yeah, I make X, Y, Z. You know, I would say the only thing is if it's someone within the company you work with, sometimes you don't want to necessarily get into that. There could be some conflicts. Um, but I would I would use your judgment, you know, use your judgment and kind of see how much you know that person, how well you know them, but definitely bring it up, bring it up in a, in a roundabout way or, you know, hey, I'm just kind of curious. I don't have any lawyers in my family or what, whatever, you know, like kind of like play into the conversation a little bit. Yeah. And what I've done with friends when we got to coffee, I'll be like, hey, so I got this raise this year. Here's what I'm making. And here's my bonus. How about you? Like I've, I've gotten pretty direct about it. Um, and sometimes it doesn't go well and sometimes it does, but I, I don't really care anymore. Like whatever, we need yeah. to talk about this stuff. Otherwise women will continue to make way less than men. Absolutely. The way it goes. So do you make a concerted effort to like ask your male peers, like what they make or just both? Both. Both. Okay. Back when, when Holland and I was discretionary and we didn't know what everyone was making, I, I had a few male colleagues that I, I really was like, hey, I just need to make sure that I'm being compensated well enough. And it's someone that I had become friend. I, they weren't my friend, but I had become friendly with them yeah. and, you know, got to know them a bit. And I was just like, hey, I'm worried I'm not getting paid enough. What are you getting paid? And, yeah. You know, for the most part, they were very receptive and cool about it. Yeah. And I, I'm sure you get to know someone on a different level too and how they take that conversation, you know? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So let's talk about debt and loans because I know so many people who go to law school do have to take out loans and end up with additional student debt or beginning student debt, depending. And, you know, how should we think about this? I know so many of us find it crippling and, you know, what are your tips? Well, you are not alone and find it crippling. And I will tell you that even nine years after law school, I still talk with my friends a lot about debt. Um, and it, 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 it's, it can feel very scary and very overwhelming, but I'm here to tell you that it doesn't have to. So let's kind of talk through the way that I like to approach debt and the way that I like to think about it and kind of shift the perspective around it. So Society may tell you that debt is bad, that debt is scary. Maybe like me, you grew up in a household where debt was a dirty word. My parents told me not to go to law school because of the debt that I would incur. And so let's just take a step back and look at debt for what it is. Debt is an investment in yourself. 
and it's a decision to pay for something over time. That's all the debt is. You know, when you buy a house, most people don't go out and buy a house cash. You have a mortgage. Most people don't walk into their house every day and be like, oh my God, this house. You know, some people do, but yeah. for the most part, society has told us that debt on a house is okay. Yeah. Society has kind of started to tell us that debt from school is not okay. And I think part of the reason that that is getting into our psyche is, is the United States is really overinflating the cost of education. And that that is true. Yeah. But what is, I like to think about it in this way, what is the flip side? We get to live in the United States of America, for better or for worse. I know every country has its issues yeah. and I'm not going to get on like a patriotic soapbox, but <laughs> we do live in a country that gives us a lot of opportunity. So yeah. is it perfect? Is the money that we pay for law school perfect? No, it kind of really freaking sucks. But yeah. it is what it is if you want to be a lawyer in the US and if you don't have a crazy scholarship or a rich uncle or aunt, like it's just, it is what it is. So let's just take the guilt and the shame and the scariness out of debt as much as we can. Mm -hmm. It is an amount of money that you invested in yourself that you have chosen to pay off over time. That's all it is. If the feelings and the thoughts that you have around it are, that's all they are. Because maybe someone down the street would have the same amount of debt or more and they wouldn't think that. So we have to remember debt is the circumstance. It's an amount of money that you owe that's going to incur interest. We all know this. It's fine. It's not great. It's not fun. But it, you've invested in yourself. You get to be a lawyer because of this debt. So that would be that would be my first thing. Let's try to shift the mindset around it. Let's not ignore it. Let's not do what I did and not look at the statement and be terrified. Let's understand it. Just like I said, let's be intimate with our money. Let's be intimate with our debt. Let's understand our debt. Put the statement on the wall. Be like, this is what I owe. Cool. How much do I love myself? That's how much I invested in myself. How yeah. much do I owe? What does that mean my interest is going to be every month? Well, you know, do I want to pay it off very quickly? If so, how? Am I going to get a job at a big firm? Maybe. Am I going to, like you said, you know, live in a duplex and really reduce <laughs> your living costs so you can basically funnel all your money to the debt? Maybe. There's no right answer. You have to figure out what makes sense to you. But I think before you can get there, you have to remove the negative energy from the debt. That's like the first step. Yeah. That's what I would say. And then the second step is the trap that I see like 99% of my fellow lawyers falling into is going to lead them to the partner's situation where he makes a million dollars a year and he can't retire. They, they get the job, whether it's the big law job or or, you know, maybe not, maybe not if you're making 45,000 or something, because maybe then you don't have that inflation adjustment, but sorry, Drew's in the background. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. But I see it, you know, I love my coworkers and I'm not hating anybody if they're listening, but like one of them went out and bought a Tesla and they all have million dollar houses. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong or, or they, they Uber eats coffee every day. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with those things. But what is, where is that getting you? Yeah. Are you ever going to be able to pay off your debt if you do that? Are you ever going to be able to, not even, let's just not even think about debt. Are you going to be able to invest any money? Yeah. You know, because on average, the stock market makes, what, 7 to 8%. You know, last year was crazy. It made like 30%, 40%. It was insane. But on average, the stock market makes you about 7 So look at what your interest is on your loans. And make a conscious informed decision that 
maybe you're not going to throw all your money at the loans. Maybe you're going to invest it because those little dollars are going to be working harder for you than the interest on the debt that you'd be saving. Yep. So it's all about the big picture and like, it's all a puzzle. That's all life is. It's just, there's moving pieces and you might make a mistake. I've made plenty, like I said, you know, but you just have to look at it that way. Yeah, absolutely. So what do you say, you know, we're talking about paying it off, but so many of our listeners are in law school right now. And what do you say to all of them as they accure student loan debt? You know, what's the best thing that we can be doing for our money with our money? And, you know, should we be investing? Should we be, you know, what's your, what's your tips? I would say for the average law student, when you're in law school, don't overspend and don't underspend. Enjoy your time. You know, if, if you're, I'm just going to talk to the average law student who had a similar experience to me. You know, I, I did have some of a scholarship, which is why full transparency, I don't think I even said this. I have paid off my loans. Um, I had about between JD and LLM, I had about 120000 I paid off, I want to say about 25000 just via my salary. And then um, my husband and I bought a piece of real estate when the market was down and we sold it when it was up. And because we had lived in the property, we didn't pay any tax on it. Um, So that was how I paid it off. But I'm going to talk to like most of my friends still have all of their debt. You know, they're, they're planning to pay it off over time. So the average law student, when you're in law school, don't overspend, don't underspend, enjoy yourself. Don't go out and buy a G wagon. Like one of my, my classmates did. I was like, Dude, how'd you, come on, you use your, you use your law student loans to go buy a G-Wagon? Like, okay, I guess that's, that's mm. fine. Um, so, you know, don't, I wouldn't worry about the money, like too much when you're in law school. It is what it is. If you want to be a lawyer, you don't have a rich uncle or aunt, and you don't have a crazy scholarship, you're going to have debt. It's just, it is what it is. You want to be a lawyer, you made the decision, or you want to be a lawyer who doesn't practice, whatever. So that's, that's that. And then your first couple of years out of law school, you're going to, you know, you're going to get out, you're going to have like your little deferral payment or period. And then you're going to, in that time period, print out your statement, put it on the, this is what I owe. It is what it is. You know, whether it's, I have friends who had 300, whatever your number is, know your number, know your interest rates, see if there's a way to consolidate. And like, that's another thing. If you're scared of your debt and you ignore it, you won't think about these things. See if there's a way to consolidate. See if there's a way to reduce your rates. Be smart about it. Don't be like, I love my debt so much. I'm just going to pay the highest amount possible. Like, be smart about it, but but know it. And then your first, I'd say first three years of being a lawyer, if you practice or whatever you do, obviously try to get a job with a high salary unless there's something pulling you towards another job, a passion, something else, choose that in advance. It's cool, whatever it is. And then don't live beyond your means. Don't do what so many of my colleagues do because we get overworked and we get overtired, especially your first few years. You're going to probably need to hustle and you're going to every weekend be like, I deserve this and I deserve that and I deserve the Gucci bag and I deserve the downtown apartment. Maybe you do. I'm not saying you don't, but think about it. How is that going to help you get to where you want to be in five years, in 10 years, you know, start to invest, go to Vanguard or Robinhood 
open a brokerage account and every paycheck, put money in. Put a little bit, put a lot, put whatever, whatever you feel comfortable with. Just um, open up. So I would, what I do is I go to Vanguard and I buy what's called an index fund. And what the index fund does is it tracks the entire stock market. So I'm not necessarily buying Apple or Tesla or Starbucks. I do have some individual stocks, but this tracks the entire market. So it takes all the guesswork out of it. You don't have to have a broker. It's going to charge you insane fees to get you probably the same thing or lower. And just do that and put some money in it and just focus on being a good lawyer. Focus on getting to know people in your community. Join the bar associations. Don't worry too much. You know, again, this is the average person. Maybe people have different goals and dreams. Maybe you listen to the financial freedom book and you're like, yes, that's what <laughs> yeah. I'm going to do. And that's awesome. But that's not going to be like the average. Not, I'm not saying average in a bad way. I'm saying just like the, the normal. The norm. Yeah, no, totally. The smart normal because the normal, the normal is to go buy the Tesla and the fancy apartment because you True. want to feel better that you're working. Yeah. <laughs> That's me. I mean, I, I yeah. <laughs> the Gucci bag, like you said, I deserve this. Like I can see it right now. Um, and I did it, you know, I mean, yeah, <laughs> I, I did it to a certain extent. I always kind of had this like money side to me, but you, you start to fall prey to the, yeah. inf- the lifestyle inflation. Mm-hmm. And I love a Gucci bag. There's nothing wrong with a Gucci bag, mm-hmm. but yeah. put some money in your, you know your brokerage account take care of yourself first then buy yeah. the gucci. you know put some money in your brokerage account pay your student loans and go buy the gucci bag yeah priorities you know? absolutely yeah, and that, that money listen to financial freedom that money is going to grow you know like yeah. you're you're going to work 80 hours a week or whatever it is and you're going to be making money it's w2 money it's taxed the highest possible rates for whatever bracket you're in rich dad poor dad talks all about this but if you're investing money it just grows like little magic soldiers that work for you while you're sleeping. Yeah. You know, it's, I love that. It's not hard. It's really, the hard part is just thinking about all of it and not doing what everyone else is doing. That's the hardest part. It's hard. Also, I think, I think you, like you said, there's such a stigma against like talking about money and, you know, the more we talk about it, I think people will just be more aware. It's like awareness, right? Like the average person, our age is not thinking about investing usually. I mean, I guess a few months ago when that, uh, Robin hood thing yeah. blew up, like everyone was investing, <laughs> everybody you know, was investing, everyone was doing yeah. that, but like I never had really heard of it before yeah. like, or really thought about it. I'm like, oh, I'll do that. Like when I'm older, when I know? need to retire, <laughs> like, you know, it feels like something you put off. And yeah. Cause it feels hard or it feels, yeah. or you want to hide the blinders. Yeah, I, I relate not to that. Checking my loans. <laughs> yeah. Not looking. Not looking. Yeah. yeah. I've done all these things. I get yeah. it. Like the first time I heard about Robin, I was like, no, I don't know anything about stocks. I'm just not going to do that. And then I started reading all these financial books and I was like, oh, wait, you just get an index fund and you just put money in it and then you just leave it. Wait. Yes. Just wait. Just keep, the, well, just plan for whatever money you're going to put in that index fund. That's money you're never going to touch unless you decide to retire early and then you'll live off of a little bit of it. But for most people, again, for the average person, just put money in it. Let it work for you and, and leave it in there because there's going to be good years with the stock market. There's going to be bad years. Last year was crazy. That's not up. the norm. 
Yeah. yeah. You, when you look at this, you know, people worry about the stock market. <laughs> Here's another example of why money is just psychology. People buy in the stock market when it's doing well and people sell when it's doing bad. But that means you're buying at the highest price and you're selling at the lowest price. So you're losing money because people get scared. People yeah. worry. And so they pull their money out. But then you, when I see the stock market down, like, I don't know if you guys remember the show because I'm a little older than you guys. So like supermarket sweep where you ran through the supermarket and you like <laughs> threw all the stuff in your shopping cart. When the stock market's down, that's me with stock. I'm like, woohoo, like let's buy it. <laughs> I love that. That's when you can make your money. Yeah. And last year, our, I look at our thing, it says you made 30%. So I all the money I put in there grew by 30%. That's very unusual. Yeah. But it happens, you know, it happens. Yeah. I'm like going to don't be scared of stuff tonight. Right. Five dollars. I mean, time to open a Robin anything, Hood account. Right? Yeah. No, and yes. and and like you said, add to it and things like that. I think it's just about coming to terms with ourselves, right? That it's if we want to pay it off, if we want to have the financial freedom, like it, you just have to take it head on. You can't hide it, yep. like you said. And and what yeah. kind of life do you want to have? And you I have think to, yeah, you have to you think have to about really figure what are out what my you want. Values. What are my priorities? What do I want to spend money on? Is it going to be, you know, like you said, vigorously paying off my debt, or am I going to pay it off over time? You know, do I have these things I need to take care of while I'm also paying off my debt, or do I have more money to dedicate to paying it off now? And I don't know. It's just everyone's different, but. I think the main thing is exactly like you said, to totally shift the mindset around money and don't look at it as such a burden. I mean, not money, debt. And also to like Samantha and you said to figure out what your priorities are and what you want to spend your money on. Definitely figure out where your priorities are. And when you're in law school, when you're your first few years of law school, I wouldn't, I would just focus on becoming a good lawyer owning your craft, getting to know people. And during that time, and invest, start to invest, whatever it is, just small amounts, get an index fund, whether it's Robinhood or Vanguard. I think in, in Vanguard, it's called like the total stock market. Look at something that's like the whole stock market. It's, it's You'll find it. Uh, I think it's like VSTX on, on Vanguard. And just start to do that. Just start basic in your first few years, but start to read some of these books. Start to open your mind up. Look at stories of, look at a lawyer who's maybe financial freedom, you know, retire early. Look at a lawyer who is investing in real estate. Like I've already, I've bought two properties because I started looking at other lawyers who have done that. Start to like, once you've kind of got a little more comfortable being a lawyer, then start to think beyond the norm of just, you have to work for a job for the rest of your life and, you know, like start to expand, but I wouldn't focus on that too much initially. Yeah. Stages as you go. That makes total sense. You got to get good at your craft and your trade of being a lawyer before you can, quote, not be a slave to the salary and move on to, you know, have like, I think it, I think it's called passive income. Is that what you call it? Oh my God. It's it's the best thing ever. And there's, oh, there's another good book called the five day weekend. And it's full of like all these passive income ideas. I forget the name of the author. I saw it in an airport. I was like, I want a five day weekend. What? (laughs) And they're just, you know, and I, it took me a long time to implement. I spent years just listening to real estate investing podcasts and listening to financial books. And I didn't do anything other than I put money in the, in the market. That's all I did. And I bought like a house for myself and it, I just let it all sink in marinate and I didn't rush it. I didn't 
do anything risky. You know, maybe some people would say it's risky, but um, I didn't do anything overly risky or foolish, you know? Yeah. I didn't go put all my money in Bitcoin. Some people yeah. made a lot of money, but I know a lot of people who like lost their whole bonus for the year because they put all their money in like $60,000 in Bitcoin and lost it or whatever it was, whatever. Yeah. Name your cryptocurrency. Like, yeah. honey, uh, <laughs> you can't go on that trip anymore. Yeah, we don't want that. Well, thank yeah. you so much, Lauren. We really appreciate you coming on and talking with us and sharing your knowledge because I know we appreciate it. And I'm sure so many other young lady lawyers out there are like, yes, this is the stuff I need to hear and are probably like, I'm the one with the blinders. I need to take off the blinders. Um in there, done that. Yes. It's so, what we all do. It's what we all do. You get overwhelmed and you just kind psychology. of down for things. Yeah. It's all psychology. Yes. It really so, is. It was my pleasure. This has been so fun. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. Thank you. Well, um, I definitely did try to open a Vanguard account. Quite can't afford it yet. So I'm going to go to Robinhood as my next option. So, you know, take a look at Vanguard. Maybe I'm just looking at it wrong, you know, because I don't like, you know, I'm a student. So, um, but definitely look into it. I mean, I only looked at it for like 10 minutes. If you really want to deep dive, like there were so many words and terms that I didn't understand when I was on that website. And I was like, what? They're just like lists of numbers and all this kind of stuff. So it's definitely something that I'm going to have to learn. I'm going to listen to some of the books that Lauren told us about and just start getting my feet wet, you know, because it is honestly something that you have to be knowledgeable about to do it in a smart way. Yeah. And just like Lauren said, you know, in your first year out of law school, you know, just focus on being a good lawyer and you will find yourself with free time. And as you do, you can supplement these books into your free time and educate yourself about what you can do now. And as you go on after you graduate, but I think some of the best tips were what she said to do while you're in law school, you know, and like Samantha said, if you um, look up Vanguard, you know, it, t- it takes a quite a big chunk of money, especially for students. It, it seems pretty big to start a Vanguard account, which is exactly why Robinhood was made, you know, for people to put smaller amounts of money into the stock market. So look into that and just focus on networking and being a good lawyer and learning your trade and everything. And, you know, don't completely eat ramen every day, but also don't overspend, you know? And I think that that's something that we all kind of have to tell ourselves and in no other time will you have such a large sum of money in your bank account. Not that I can think of, um, that you'll have to, you know, really figure out what you're going to do. I know some jobs are like that, but you know, most people get paid on a bi week, you know, every other week basis. And it's um, easier to plan around that rather than when you're in school and you really have to focus on not overspending. And I still can't believe someone in her class bought a Jeep wagon. It's crazy, right? I mean, we've definitely heard of law students getting their loans and going on shopping sprees immediately. So don't do that, you know, with your loans, please, because 
I mean, yeah, you might be treating yourself, but think about the major investment here, which is school and staying healthy and, you know, not having to get, I guess, a job that you don't really necessarily need, you know, as a 1L. Mm -hmm. Because I think by 2L, you understand, like, you have to take things seriously. It's mostly the 1Ls that I've heard that blow their loans. Yeah. Um, So just don't do that and just be financially responsible. You'll you'll thank yourself later. Seriously. So... One of the reasons we brought Lauren on was because we talked with her during her law school blueprint. So make sure and follow Lauren and keep up with her because I know that she will keep offering the law school blueprint as time goes on. And it was such a great network and group of ladies to be a part of just because we you know, hopped on Zoom and chatted. And that's where we first talked to Lauren all about money. And we had to share it with you guys because whenever, you know, I first heard her say that we should be talking about our salaries. I was like, more people have to know this. So remember the thing she said, go back and listen to this episode again. I know we both will. And yeah, we hope that you enjoyed it. Yes. And on that note, stay healthy, stay safe, you know, do your homework and yeah. Bye guys. Bye. Bye.